All right, John Rudd, welcome to the podcast, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm great, Brett. Thanks for uh, inviting me on. Yeah, listen, it's been uh, we've been playing back and forward. I've been trying to get you on for a while, so I'm glad we could nail this down. Where are you at right now? I'm in Dublin, Ireland, um, trying to sort out a few bits and pieces following the European Championships to get the new season started and then hopefully get a little bit of leave because I've not managed to get any yet this summer. <laughs> well, well, we just went through some of the things that you do um, behind the scenes as well, not only on the deck, but uh, my God, you do, you've, you've got a lot of things going on. So I'd imagine you're ready for a little break. Yeah, I think you all, we all get to that point, don't we, in that sort of um, end of July, August period where you start to run on fumes. And, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, the European Championships for us were late. We also had a Commonwealth Games for the Northern Ireland athletes. Right. Um, and then, you know, We've got to put the the season in a place where it will start successfully from September. So that all needs doing. And then once we're in that position, yeah, we'll get a little downtime. Yeah, okay. Look, let's talk about the role that you're in now with um, Swim Island. You're the, the performance director there. So how did this all come about? I mean, you're, you're British, but, you know, obviously a position like this comes open. Did they... Did they come after you? Did you have to put in an application of any sorts or is it just like, hey, we want you to come and lead it, lead this for us? No, I applied. Um, I, I don't know that, you know, what uh, Island may or may not have known about me at that time. But, um, you know, it leading into Rio and, um, and then after Rio, I was, I was really conscious that I wanted to try something new. I'd done the same thing in the same place mm. for the best part of 30 years. Um, oh. and I'd achieved a lot of my coaching ambitions, you know, all mm. those things that I'd set myself around international medals and world records and stuff like that, they'd been done. And, um, I was in this weird position that not many people get to where it was like, well, I've done everything that I intended to do. Am I motivated to just go and see if I can do it again? Mm. And I think it could have been, but, uh, um, what I was really motivated by was an opportunity like this where I could help other people to try and experience what I'd experienced. Mm. Um, and my, my choices were limited. Uh, I can only speak English, so it had to be an English-speaking nation. And mm -hmm. and then the island thing came up, and so it was maybe written in the stars that that was, that was the opportunity for me, and I applied, and, and here I am. Wow. Um, I want to get into that more, but you said something about coaching ambition. That That's interesting because I talk to a lot of coaches on this podcast and I try and get that out of them. And very few coaches are willing to kind of talk about coaching ambition, but it's it's something that gets you out of bed in the morning. Like I had it, I'm sure. Uh, for sure I had it. You know, I think you get to a point where any person wants to be competitive. Any person wants to achieve greatness, especially at our level, like we're, we're dealing with kind of the, the 1% of all swimming, right? Like once you get to the peak of, of where we are in, in the swimming world, you're dealing with the best athletes in the world. And so you, you have your own ambitions, I guess. So I, I like the fact that you admitted that, that you had some ambitions to achieve success. And I imagine, you know, when I look at your resume, I see Olympic gold medal coach. I mean, why not aim for that, right? Absolutely. Um, I always say to people that <clears throat> there was a point in time where I was a good coach uh, and I did things the way that I did them, having been taught by some great people and mm -hmm. uh, chatting to, you know, great coaches around the world. Mm -hmm. 
and I did things my way and I and I was seen as a good coach. And then there was one day where that clicked with an athlete and I didn't change really anything that I did. And then mm. the next day I was I was a great coach. Mm. And and I'm like, so I, I, I always struggle with that a little bit that you're defined by sometimes by your athletes mm. or defined by your athletes' medals or records or, mm. or whatever else, because um I wasn't I wasn't a different coach the day after an Olympic gold medal as I was the day before, but my coaching status changed. Mm. So um Look, I, I set about um, wanting the, the best swimming program in my particular area of England. And then when that was achieved, it was like, okay, now what, now what the best swimming program uh, in the country? And we mm -hmm. achieved that for several years in a row. And then it was, okay, so that's done. I now want to coach medals. I want to, I want mm -hmm. to step on the teams and see athletes onto podiums. And um, there isn't a gold medal that I could coach that I haven't and i've coached three world records and a uh, a whole bunch of european and commonwealth records so mm -hmm. at that point i honestly you know looked at what my ambitions were when i when i started and how they evolved and uh like rebel i've done them um, mm -hmm. and those coaches that that are able to go and win the cup for a third time or a fourth time or a fifth time or you know said about things um maybe with the same athlete or a different athlete to try and achieve something they've already achieved. Um, I, I have a massive amount of respect for them because there was just something in me that went, I need to do something different to maintain a motivation and a love for this sport. And that's why mm. I do what I do now. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I can relate to a lot of that. You know, um, I, I was in a, in, a, in a weird situation where I came into coaching kind of um, under the guise of some, incredible coaches i got i got very fortunate to kind of fall in line underneath david marsh and richard quick you know two of the greatest in history so i guess uh, my fortune lied in kind of just where i fell and then and then you know david kind of put caesar cielo in my lap and then a couple of years later here we are winning a gold medal so for me things happened extremely quickly and i can relate to the fact where you said one day i'm coaching and then the next day my credentials saying I'm an Olympic gold medal coach and all of a sudden everybody thinks I'm so much better than I, than I actually was. Like I, I felt like I was a good coach, but I didn't, I didn't feel like I was the best in the world necessarily. There was so much to learn and, um, and I was just experimenting. So I think, I think you're right. Like there are things that you achieve along the way that can elevate your status, but then you're always coming back to like, well, how do I get better? How do, how can I improve? How can, how can I help these people understand that there's still so much to go and, and, and maybe you have success with this person, but doesn't guarantee success with that person. And then every individual is a little different too. So in, in regards to that, like in terms of just establishing things that you feel make you a great coach and, um, and kind of create separation with some other coaches, what, what are the things that John Rudd does well on a daily basis that, they're always your go-to things that, that you just go back to. I'll start with with patience. There's there's no doubt that unless um, you know a, a, an Olympic champion or an Olympic medalist from the previous games drops in your lap and they're clearly on an upwards trajectory and right. and of an age profile where you have to do something really bad for them not to win Olympic medal again, these things yeah. don't drop in your lap. But you right. know if you're in a system where you're creating athletes rather than inheriting them. Mm -hmm. um you have to have patience and you have to 
you have to be really flexible and agile in the way that you that you look at things. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I coached a, a good bunch of female breaststrokers in my time and a good bunch of uh, male sprint freestylers in my time. Mm-hmm. And there was a couple of athletes that were the cream of the crop of those. But there were subtle differences of what we had to do with some of those guys that were aspiring to that level. And so um, you have to be on your toes and you have to be open to um, thinking thinking almost every day, if not every session, you know, that self-reflection piece on, I planned this, then we actually did this because I modified it when they hit the water. Mm. And then at the end of it, what could, what could have been better? If I went back and had that two-hour period again, that three-hour period again or whatever it might be, how would we start it different? Where would we progress it differently? And right. and like making notes and stuff where you can go back and challenge mm. yourself. Because I honestly think that the the greatest exponent of learning is from your previous self. Mm. Um, and you know, but that doesn't mean that when you get the opportunity to speak to guys that have been there, done it, done it many times, um, are the are the serial achievers in coaching, you absolutely have to listen to them. Uh, You have to get past the bar stories and the war stories and the pats on the back and actually get to some substance sometimes. But if Mm -hmm. you can get to that with them, there's always something to learn. And then I also believe that great coaching is, um, um, there's, there's an element which is theft, which is where every time you speak to someone, there'll be something that you take. Right. And you take this and you take that and you take the other and you piece them together and it, and it makes your own coaching profile and your own coaching style. That's what makes you unique. Um, but I, I, I think that, that we're not good at times as a, as a group of coaches of recognizing where we took snippets and ideas and little bits and pieces from. Because the way that we do things is part us and part what we've learned, seen, heard from others mm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And that's john that's why i have a podcast i, I, I steal every day there you go. <laughs> there you go. um no you're right you're right like that that is it you know but there's also a time i guess where your athletes have to understand you know what you're doing too right like and and this is your signature like this is john rudd like this is this is what i know and this is the way i do it and and it works and um, so how did you get to that point in your career where you just, where you knew your signature, you were so confident in the way that you were doing things that you had to get your athletes to believe that as well, right? Like that's part of the challenge too, is like an athlete's going to come in with doubts and you almost have to prove yourself in a way to say like, look, I know this works, right? Yeah. And look, the obvious answer is look at the results. Um but there'll always be guys that come into your coaching program where they're the one or that, you know, you hope it's a small number, but they're the one or they're within that small group that don't make the progress that's, that's expected and anticipated. Mm. And I think, again, another great coaching attribute is recognizing when that's the case and saying to them, I don't know whether you shouldn't try something else because I really think I know what I'm doing, um, and, but it doesn't seem to be working for you. Mm. And I think a lot of coaches hang on to athletes for that reflected glory rather than what's best for that individual. Right. So there's a there's a strong, you know, moral or, or ethical strand that needs to be in place in coaching. If we recognize that that the athletes in our care have a really limited window of opportunity, that if 
all we're doing is is trying to find a way to keep them in our program so that we get some kind of status and kudos from it. Right. That potentially we're not we're not doing them the right service. So there's a there's a point in time, and if you're good coaches with a small number, where you maybe say to them, look, you know, have you thought about doing something else? Mm-hmm. But if you if your results are good, um, your culture is strong within your program, um, you're you know you have all of those kind of the things that we talk about with coaches, you're approachable and you're and you individualize and um, you, you, your mood is stable. Um, all of those all of those kind of things. And then athletes will respond. But I don't think that we can ever really walk on deck with a plan on a given day that's going to satisfy 30, 40 athletes in the pool. Yeah, there has to be some bespoke nature to what we're doing or we only reach a limited number. And then with the others, then we're, we're providing them with a disservice. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That was a challenge in college, right? And, co- and college coaches have this challenge where the groups are so big. you got 30 men, 30 women, and obviously you have assistant coaches. And so the best college programs in America, uh, you know, delegate and al- al- allocate certain swimmers to certain coaches. And, you know, you might, you might have a situation where the team's maybe doing something on a particular day, but then mo- the majority of the time you've got to split, right? Like, cause athletes have to have individual attention. They have to have certain groups that they're working with and they have to build up a rapport with a certain coach. And there's no way one head coach in a college program can have that kind of, um, relationship with 60 athletes. It just, it just can't happen. So that, that was certainly a challenge in college. And I'm, and I'd imagine in, in some of these big programs, you know, around the country, like uh, I'm thinking, um, you know, like Dean Boxall right now in Australia, like uh, he, he's, he's got this incredible group, um, you know, and, and you've got to find time for each one of those athletes. And so the best coaches do manage that well. But then even even when I talk to Dean, he, he says to some of his athletes, like, this might not be the place for you, right? Like, this, you might need to go somewhere else to get what you need specifically. So the, the best coaches are doing that. Um, one of the things that interests me about your background is, like, in, in swimming, a lot of it is about the, the physiology, right? Like, when we do these presentations and we listen to coaches, it's, all, it's, lo- it's a lot about the training and how do you – you know, what kind of program do you have? How do you, how much do you work? When do you work? How are you balancing this? And, and those sorts of things, the physiology of, of training is, is very heavy in swimming, but you have a doctorate in psychology. Why did you go down the psychology route? And what's the difference between kind of a psychology degree and, and being a, a doctor of psychology that, that interests me. Well, I went down the psychology route because I felt that I'd always been a psychologist um, and that I don't have a lot of strengths, right? I don't know how to change a tire on a car. And I, if someone asked me to put up some shelves in the kitchen, I wouldn't have a clue. Mm. But I'm, I'm, a, I'm good at watching people and listening to people and, and understanding what might be behind their words. Mm. I th- well, I think I am. Um, so that really interested me. Um, and And so just for my own sort of, you know, like stimulation, if you like, of um, wanting to achieve something that, you know, I could sort of pat myself on the back for, but also um, uh, flush out what it, whether I did have an ability in this area, that was something right. that I wanted to do. And mm. it's, it's, it's interested me a lot more than, um, than physiology or um, 
some of the, some of the other like sciencey type areas that might biomechanics and stuff. But <clears throat> and I also think that uh, sometimes it, it it's it's not the message or it's not the set or it's not the part of the set or the session or whatever. It's the manner in which it's delivered. Mm. So, you know, I I can walk on a deck. Another coach can walk on a deck, and another coach can walk on a deck, all with the same bit of paper, all with the same session on, for the same athlete, and the manner in which we deliver it, we get different outcomes. Mm. And that's that's really interesting to me, that, you know, X number of 100s at a particular intensity with a particular heart rate on a particular stroke, you know, with some other bits and pieces in there around rates and counts and whatever that may be, that's only the beginning. Mm -hmm. if, that, if that's as basic as we are, then then this sport has got way further to evolve. Mm. What makes a difference is whether Brett Holt walks on deck or whether John Rudd walks on deck or whether Bob Bowman walks on deck or whatever it might be. That's what makes a difference. So I'm, I'm really interested in, in that area. And the other area that really fires me up is particular. you know, we had a, a quick conversation after the 100 free world record in Rome. I'm really, really interested in in those people that come along and just change the sport. Mm. Where it's stuff where maybe they don't even know what they're doing to change it. And those working around with them are still trying to work out what it is because it's, it's some kind of um, wonderful new thing that they have in their relationship with the water. And certainly those of us that are our side of that are, are trying to work it out even more. That stuff really really interests me because unless unless those people come along those the world records are going to stagnate and mm. those, those fantastic swims that we that we've got used to seeing um will just become fewer and fewer and fewer particularly now we don't have the suits and whatever else that are that are aiding those so that stuff that stuff really interests me and um seeing that 100 freestyle world record go in rome live Mm. was something there where if anyone needed a kick in the pants as to why a you should continue to love the sport and b you should continue to recognize that the books are not closed there's so much more we got to learn there's an example of it we individualize training in the pool so why not individualize your nutrition erica barney of barney wellness building will help you and your swimmers get exactly what each athlete needs through genetic testing and personalized nutrition plans. So stop guessing what you should and shouldn't be putting into your body. Athletes within a few weeks have noticed they're recovering faster because they're fueling their body with what they need and staying away from what their body hates. Erica understands swimming. She gets it. She's worked with over 20 Olympians, including the fastest man in the world, Caleb Dressel. Group discounts are available, so go to Biney Wellness Building and get in touch with Erica today. That's Biney, B-E-I-N-E, wellnessbuilding.net. Swim Angelfish. Swim Angelfish is an online certification program that strengthens your teaching curriculum to serve swimmers of all abilities. Swim Angelfish will prepare you and your instructors with the skills to teach swimmers with autism, physical disabilities, anxiety, sensory and motor conditions, and more. Learn to teach skills faster and with more comfort with Swim Angelfish. Apply for an only alpha pool product scholarship and receive up to 50% off your certification. Go to swimangelfish.com today to apply.
Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's blowing us all away. I've had conversations with some of the greatest sprinters in history now over this world record, some of the best coaches in history, including yourself. And we're all not scratching our heads. We're, all, we're, we're very thankful that David's come along and kind of set this new paradigm. And, and it's always good. You know, you've had an athlete like that. Ruta, Ruta came along in breaststroke and did that on the, on the women's side as well. So it's like you see these athletes come along sometimes and just shift the paradigm and, and shift your thinking because you're, stu you're so stuck in like, okay, like you said, here's the formula of you've got to do this, 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 and this, and this is how you get to that. And then all of a sudden this guy comes along and I'm talking to Alex Popoff and he's like, I have no idea how you swim 46 seconds. And this is the, the greatest sprint freestyler free in history has no idea how to do it. And so we're all like, I don't know, you know? So it's so cool to see. I, I imagine, I mean, I'm so jealous of you being standing on the deck and just kind of taking that all in, in the crowd in Rome and, and watching that. But, um, I mean, you talk about psychology. When I when I talk to Popovich, a lot of it is just about what are you thinking and 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 how do you think? Um, because how does a, a a seventeen year old think to themselves? I can swim faster than any man in human history. You know how do you, how do you even think that at seventeen? I I can start to understand it when you're when you're a full grown man, maybe like twenty two, twenty three, and you've had worlds of experience, and then you start to kind of fall into this belief but this this kid in a way and i don't like to call him a kid because he's a, he's a man now but like this kid is thinking beyond his years and the only other person i've i've met like that who's done that for me was was richard quick richard quick was always a, a 10 year ahead thinker he, he thought way beyond where i could think and and he could see it and he could feel it and and i imagine you you're probably very similar to that in terms of the the psychology of, of the sport, I'm sure that you've, you, you kind of uh, fall into that realm a little bit, wouldn't you think? Well, the first thing I'd say about that swim, um, which I don't, I don't, I don't think has been sort of reported enough is uh, that venue is not, is not an easy venue to swim fast in. Mm. You know, it was, it was windy a lot of the time. Uh, when it wasn't boiling hot, it was raining. Right. Um, and so the, the, I mean, the environment in terms of the crowd was sensational, but in terms of a pure let's swim fast environment, it, it's, uh, it's got its challenges, mm -hmm. you know, so you could argue that that swims point, point two, point three quicker in a, in yeah. an indoor venue in, in, you know, a, a, an optimal setting. Mm. The second thing that I think is the, is the bit that is the most in, intriguing to me is it's the it's the front to back 50 you know the drop off is so negligible from what we've seen from the fastest guys in the world in that event and that's why it's 200 so good obviously mm. um that that's a whole new piece because most sprinters i think spend their lives working out how they hold it together down the back 50 this guy's mm. got to work out how he holds it together down the back 50 not change that but how he gets out quicker because he mm. isn't out sensationally quick mm. But it's but the second fifty is just is just a new level, just mm. a new level. I also think from from what you raised there, which is a really important point, with with youth comes naivety, and with naivety sometimes comes easier performances. Because I'm not sure that I'd be interested to know whether he if he went out to that race with a coach's voice in his ears or his own voice in his head saying I'm going to break the world record. Mm. I, I don't know that that helps an athlete ever. 
but what does help is I'm I'm going to dive in and be the best version of myself today. Mm. And that has the capacity to break a world record. And and so it's a slightly it's a slightly nuanced concept of going out to a race of I don't I, a I don't think I can lose. B I'm in the best form of my life. C I've proved that across the rounds. Um, and D all I have to do is is dive in and structure my race in the in the in the best way that that m- that my body and my abilities suggest I should. Because this isn't a big guy, you know. Mm. The, the S and C guys must be must be looking at this and wondering whether they're out of work for these sprinters, having seen him, you know. And I'm I'm yeah. sure they're not. But this is this is someone that that hasn't hasn't achieved this through um, necessarily force that's been that's been learned in the gym. This is a guy that when he puts his hand on the water, the force that he generates that's aquatic specific force is just another level. His relationship with the water is potentially the best we've ever seen from an athlete ever. Mm-hmm. That's the thing we have to learn. So um, I, I don't know that he walked out going, right, I'm going to break this world record. But I would suspect and hope that he walked out going, I'm going to swim faster than I've ever swum before. Yeah. By, by the things I've learned from the heat and the semi-final. And if right. I do that, the world record's on the cards. Right. You're uh, leading a nation now, Swim Island, um, where you kind of are hoping for a very similar effect to maybe the, the Popovich effect in Romania. That I watched their relay team at the uh, World Juniors. I think I think it's World Juniors now. I'm having trouble keeping up with where he's at and, and where and what what's on the calendar right now. But World Juniors in Lima, Peru. The Romanians win the four by one hundred freestyle. So I imagine this this kind of almost Popovich effect is having having an effect on the guys around him and and the people and the belief system of the of these young men. You know, for them to win the world title at the at the World Juniors is is extraordinary. And then I'm I'm sure you maybe even seen this with uh with Ruder and, and maybe Lithuania. I saw it with Caesar in Brazil. You know, so you have this effect here. Is there is this kind of similar to what you're hoping? may happen in ireland or is it happening and and tell us about what's going on in ireland and and uh where it's at right now well there isn't a performance director or or a head coach of a nation that doesn't dream for the equivalent guy to walk through their doors and put and put their tracksuit and their cap on Mm. um and it's what we're all aspiring to find you know one or more of of that talent um some of it's by some of it's by looking by chance you know, we're, we're grateful that that guy didn't take up um, badminton or take up uh, volleyball or because great, great athletes are great athletes. So there's a good chance that he would have been, you know, successful in in anything that he chose to do. Would he have been a world record holder? Maybe not. But, you know, those sliding doors moments of those guys choosing your sport is, mm. is really, really important. Um, in Ireland, we have a particular challenge because we have... Um, uh, a, a sport that isn't really played anywhere else, a, a bit like Aussie rules that isn't really played anywhere else. We have Gaelic football and and we have um, mm. and hurling, and that sucks up a lot of the uh, athletic talent in the nation, and that hurts every sport. Um, and then nobody really gets to see those guys um, be world beaters in something because there isn't um, a world level event for those sports. 
It's an inter-county mm. event within the nation. So that's a challenge that we that we all face. But I think the one thing that we have in swimming over and above any other sport is that we're a retention sport and not a recruitment sport. Everybody has to learn to swim. Um, you would say that 9.9 people out of 10 actually do learn to swim in the 21st century. Um, so it, if they all walk through our doors at some point, it's our job as a national governing body, as coaches in, in clubs or programs, to identify them when they walk through the door, find find a, uh, an energy and an effort to visit the Learn to Swim program or the junior program more regularly and make sure those kids are sold a dream and, and given some kind of inspirational message of what it is that you might see in them so that after their six weeks or their 10 weeks or their 12 weeks of swimming, they don't tick that box and go on and do the next thing on the agenda, you know, learn the piano or whatever that might be that their parents mm. have, have in store for them. That's the key bit for us. Whereas other sports don't have that. Other sports don't have this natural throughput of young people um, that's close to the entire population come through their doors. And I right. don't know that as a sport, uh, particularly in, in a lot of nations, we've learned how to tap that. What kind of support do you guys give them so that they're not walking away to these other sports so that you can retain them? Do you, do you get support? Are you fighting for more support? Like, I'm, you know, where, where are you at with that? Because obviously it's, it's difficult. Like you're, you're not only competing to keep them away from those other sports, but you're competing to keep them away from maybe even leaving Ireland and coming to America or other, other situations. So like, there's got to be a foundation for where you are to say, look, we're good enough here. We can give you what you need. We can get the results. Is that correct? Yeah. So in, in the first instance around the, you know, trying to keep them, trying to keep them in, uh, in swimming, right. you know, we all know that's a challenge. There's, there's nothing pretty or romantic about um, burying your face in chlorinated water for 20 hours a week mm. when you're a youngster. And that ultimate goal is, 10, 15 years or more down the track. So, you know, we have to be really creative and um, and thought provoking with young people as to as to why they might they might want to do this. So the competition calendar domestically and internationally is really important for that and finding ways that it's it's more than just medals, you know, because there's only three guys that can win a medal. And the 11 year old that wins the medal may not be the guy that should be stepping onto the senior national team uh, 10, 15 years later. So there's, there's, we have to be creative in that way. Um, in terms of, you know, national, our national program and athletes choosing international programs, I strongly believe that in, in nine out of 10 nations and, and I was included that the people that care the most about the, in our case, the, the green jacket and stepping onto an Irish team, people who care about it the most and give it the most attention our Irish people and Irish programs. So on that basis, it's my belief that that's the best place for them to be. But we also recognize that people, when they get to 18, 19 years of age, want to spread their wings sometimes and try something new and have a life experience and, you know, go to a, go to a different culture and a different climate and, tr and try something different. Um, so we don't hold them back and we don't penalize them for that. We continue to support them the best we can. If they're at the other side of the world or or they're elsewhere in europe um but we still believe that you know for irish kids to do the best that they can 
on a senior international level, Ireland's the best place for them. Um, yeah. So we just, we, you know, we, we educate and advise, but ultimately each individual makes their own decision and um, we support them best we can, whatever their decision may be. Do you guys have some traditional heroes in swimming that you can that you can fall back on? Like in in Brazil, we had Gustavo Borges, right? Like it was easy to kind of fall back on him and say that's a a national hero. I don't know much enough about Irish swimming to say that these are these are the people that you rely on to say like dream big, be like that person. So who who would be the kind of the the heroes of Irish swimming that that kids can look up to? Um, I think that it depends how far you go back, but, you know, names like Gary O'Toole, um, Gronya Murphy, uh, Andrew Bree, you know, these kind of characters would be people that, that mm -hmm. the Irish would, would, would look up to and remember mm -hmm. uh, and hold in high reverence. Um, you know, and, and Andrew Bree is, is, is coaching in one of our centres now, which is, which is great. You know, Ireland mm -hmm. don't have many double Olympians in swimming and he's one of them. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, I would I would say that we're actually in the position now with the likes of Mona McSharry and and Daniel Whiffen, Ellen Walsh, that mm. were that were potentially in the process of of rewriting or adding to who those luminaries are. Right. You know the fact that uh, Mona and Ellen both won medals at the World Short Course um, in December of twenty one. You know that's not happened that often. There's only Shane Ryan that's achieved that before. Um, uh, Daniel Whiffin's first Northern Ireland's first ever Commonwealth Games medal. You know, the, the, these are these are big deals for, mm. for Irish swimming. You know, we're a, we're a small nation in population. Um, you know, having our first relay and Olympic Games in 50 years in Tokyo that was a big mm. deal. So they're stepping stones to mm -hmm. where to where we want to be. Um, mm. Is it is it the end product? No. Does it help us get to the end product? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I guess. I guess then there's a way, uh, in my mind, then you'd want to kind of parade them around a little bit and, and, and kind of put them out into the public and say, like, go and, go and talk to kids, go and be on national television or whatever it is, like, to really get, get it out there to say, like, these, these young up-and-coming athletes are heroes and you want to aspire to them. Is, is that kind of part of the mentality or not in Ireland? I'm not sure, you know, how do they go about kind of um, praising you know, athletes. Sure. So, you know, as, as the governing body for swimming, we, we would absolutely want to do that as often as possible in as many different areas as possible. Sometimes getting media to be interested in our sport is tough. And I think other nations find a similar challenge. You mm. know, we're not, um, we're not a national sport like we might be in, in some other nations. Um, but we would, we would completely want and support that. It's always a balance between that exposure for for them and for the sport and not compromising their training and their education and those kind of things there is a fine line that we have to walk but it's yeah it's totally something that that we that we are doing and um yeah maybe maybe we should be doing it more and it's it's something that we'll always aspire to in in terms of promoting them promoting the sport promoting what can be achieved if you join the sport yeah well, mate, you got you got someone there that uh, has kind of laid the foundations for for how to do it in, in Conor McGregor. I don't know if you want to end up uh, the you know following his complete track, but certainly early on um, with some of the things that he was doing to promote himself, uh, it was definitely caught on. But um, yeah, he, he's a character. 
I don't know if we have anyone like that in swimming. Um, I'll talk to Shane Ryan about it. We'll get him going. Um, now, listen, you are the president of the, the World Swimming Coaches Association, and I want to I want to say this um, in a way that doesn't doesn't insult you, but like I I don't know what that means exactly. You know what I mean? It's like I I guess they're not as as visible as uh, or or as, as well known in terms of what they do. So like educate me on what that means exactly. Uh, the president's position is it's kind of chair of the board, if, if we want to put it that way. Um, the Welshman Coaches Association is in the main a, a, a voluntary organization with, with, its, uh, with its sort of basic membership package being free. Mm -hmm. So its bank account is pretty small. There's only one employee of the mm -hmm. well swimming coaches association and that's something that we've got to constantly get um some money together and sponsors and so on together to maintain that particular person's role um but i suppose what we're what we're trying to achieve and it's and it's and it's pretty slow is to one is to advocate for coaches and to support them as, as best we can uh to promote the education and development of coaches um but the reason that maybe the likes of yourself and 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 other coaches in the most developed swimming nations would would not have um, the strongest relationship with mm. with the World Swimming Coach Association is we try and do our work primarily in the nations that don't have a coaches association. Right. So America have ASCA and Britain have the BSCA and Australia have the ASCTA and so on. So we'll have a relationship with them and we'll support them and work with them as and when they need it. But those coaches are, are looked after by a, by a national coaches association. Right. But if you go into certain parts of Europe or the majority of Africa or into Asia, there's, you know, in South America, there's, there's a lot of nations where coaches don't have someone to go to and don't have a, a metaphorical arm around their shoulder if they need it. And that's where we will, we will do the majority of our work. Um, and if those nations end up in a position where they create their own coaches association, that's great because what we've done then is, you know, we've stimulated and catalyzed something that is what we what we would like to see in in uh, in every swimming nation. So, um, you know, we're, we're the membership's big, you know, it's hundreds of thousands of coaches, and mm. um, and we and we chip away with with education pieces and. And we were a, a strong, uh, strong advocacy around the whole transgender piece that went to FINA and um, FINA's ultimate call on what would happen with the transgender piece aligned with that that we sent into them. Whether yeah. we had a, an influence of some kind, I would hope so. Um, but the fact that we came out with a similar uh, result that we were suggesting suggests that we had an influence. And so the key is we're independent we're independent to fina we're independent to any of the continental associations we're independent to national federations and that gives coaches a a place to come to like they might do with asca or the bsca and yeah. say you know guys can you help me out here yeah i'll i'll be honest with you like um I started this podcast as as kind of just a, an interest, you know, and um, and something that I wanted to do just to talk to coaches. I love having conversations like this, by the way, and, and I appreciate you sharing. What I've learned over time is that 
this is one of the best educational pieces in in swimming right and i've been somewhat surprised that um organizations like um the one that you're the president of and and others haven't kind of come to me and said like let's partner in terms of like getting getting these messages out because like i'm having this beautiful conversation with you who, who's the president of the world swimming coaches association and people should be listening right and and so i i would think that part of swimming education would be listening to podcasts like this where i bring on bob bowman i bring on david marsh i bring on david popovich and and they and i get inside their heads you know so um yeah i don't know i just threw that out there and I, and i didn't mean to put you on the spot with that but it's just it's to me it's like as i've done these i've like wow these are so educational you know what i mean couldn't, couldn't agree with you more brett and um yeah maybe we're remiss in in uh, in not coming to you you know with with that sort of request um you know there's a there's a whole bunch of swimming podcasts out there and um you know yours is great and others are great too yeah. um but yeah i will take your point i'll take your point on board look the bo the bottom line is with with well swimming coaches association is we're all we're all voluntary guys right we've all got daytime jobs yeah so um what we can do is is what we're doing in an evening or at a weekend or whatever else just because we love the sport and we love to support coaches so um you know if we were all full-time employees of that association um then i'd be happy to be hit over the head with a stick a little bit more on something like that but yeah you know, no, no. I, look if, I, didn't uh, mean, I didn't mean to beat you on the head with it it just, <laughs> uh, it just uh, comes to me because i have these incredible conversations i'm like man i wish i wish we'd get these out more because like i'm talking to john rudd right now and he's telling me about you know all this incredible stuff i'd love for people to tap into it more you know so anyway that that's that we we can get off it event heat lane name of swimmer times and places it's called swim nerd live and it allows the data and times from your actual scoreboard to be broadcast and viewed in real time on any smart tv phone or other device there are so many things you can do with this software a very simple and easy to use necessity for any team or facility that is live streaming their meets results one click on any device and they're watching your swim meet live in real time Go to swimpractice.com to learn more. In terms of this, then, I've got something else that came up. I talked to Tim Hinchy, who's the uh, president of, of USA Swimming, and, and he brought up this fact that he's very concerned about this global calendar. Um, how, how much of, of this talk is amongst, um, you know, all the different varying associations that you are part of as well? It, it's, it's definitely a challenge. Like I said, I couldn't even remember where where Popovich is swimming right now. Uh, he's at the World Junior Championships in Peru, I believe. But, I mean, the meets that he's gone to and the thing, I mean, we just had junior hand packs, I think, in Hawaii. I mean, there's all sorts of different meets going on all over the world. And it just seems like the swimmers have no idea where they're going next, what's happening, how they're going to get to that meet, to this meet. to the There seems to be some some fighting about next year's world championships about i think there's two world championships next year uh or maybe the year after i'm not sure the, the calendar just seems to be all over the place so where are we with that well the calendar is all over the place and um look without sounding like a politician it's it's nobody's fault you know the reason it's all over the place is is a worldwide pandemic um and 
governing bodies are desperately trying to hold on to what was planned for a year and accommodate that that was cancelled or postponed or pushed back or whatever because of a pandemic. But it is it is a little bit chaotic and there's an awful lot of stuff going on on top of each other that um, you know is a concern for athlete welfare and well-being. Mm. It's a concern for how governing bodies, national federations actually manage budgets, particularly smaller nations. Right. You know, there's that and and what we're I think what we're having to do, you know, maybe maybe bar the top ten swimming nations in the world, everybody else is is looking at the calendar and going, so where do we draw a line? You know, what we're going to focus on, what are we not going to do? Um, and that's a that's a pity, you know, because in any nation you have mm. the world stuff, then you have your continental stuff, then you have subcontinental stuff, and then you have your own national and domestic program to look after as well. You have junior events, youth events, senior events, um, right. multi-sport events. So these are th these these are difficult times. And there's, I suppose the 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 biggest thing is there's there's contracts that have been signed with certain nations to hold certain events. Mm. Where the money's already sloshing around in the system somewhere and their event didn't take place because mm. of because of covid um and nobody wants to breach that contract because of, you know the financial consequences and whatever else so yeah it's it's messy um and it's not ideal the key thing i think now is you know fina have put an athlete commission in place uh, len the european body have put an athlete commission in place and they both said that they that they really want to listen to those guys and that they're there for a purpose and and not just because it's the politically correct thing to see. So I'd want to I'd want to see the athlete voice come to the fore here and right. those commissions, um, you know, really make strong representation on on behalf of athlete welfare and psychological health and physical health and in in terms of you know what's going on out there because. There'll be a point in time where we get back to something that's regularity, but we also then need to take that opportunity to make regularity fit for purpose. Because I'm right. not even sure that regularity was 100% fit for purpose. But where right. we are now is, yeah, it, it, there's, a, there's a lot of reactionary stuff that's that's happening. You know, like you mentioned, the world's in Doha in February 2024. There isn't a single, isn't a single person out in the world that thinks that's a great idea. Mm. But, but there's a there's a contract signed somewhere that requires that competition to take place in a particular time frame. Um, yeah, and if yeah, I think there's a like a world short course coming up in Melbourne in a few months as well. It's like yeah, uh, and and so yeah. we've got we've got the response to the the Russian Ukraine situation of certain meets not being able to take place in certain venues. Right. So so meets get moved because you know we know that that Russia has been um, uh, a strong a strong exponent of, of hosting European and world swimming events. So if they're right. off the calendar for, for now or for a considerable period, things get shuffled around. So you've got that in the equation. You've got events that didn't take place because of the pandemic and get pushed back a year or get pushed back two years and you end up with a bottleneck. Um, and, and so we have to navigate that. We have to navigate that well, but it's for coaches and athletes in particular to guide the bodies that are making those decisions so that we get the best out of what is a very difficult situation. It is. Yeah, it is. It, it's, it's very difficult. Um, 
You, you brought something up there in terms of Russia that, that kind of sparked my thinking. Like, uh, it, it's sad, right? Like, it's sad. There's a lot of really good Russian swimmers. And then here we have a situation with, with Ukraine and it's so messy and ugly and you don't even want to touch it, you know? And, uh, but at the same time, you know, we, we, we care about swimming. You and I, we care about swimming. We, we love the swimming at its peak, right? And so like to have a whole group of athletes that aren't even in that picture right now, it, it's sad, you know, like it's sad, but the, I mean, the, the bigger picture is it's sad that there's a war going on too. Like that, that's the even bigger picture. But um, yeah, I don't know. Like, how do you feel about the whole Russian situation yourself? Like it, it just, I don't even know when those athletes are going to be able to come back at, at all. You know, like it could be, it could be kind of almost like the end of a career for a lot of these athletes. Yeah, it is an extremely sad situation. And there's no doubt about it that, you know, in a European championships or a world championships, you want all eligible nations present. Right. Um, that's the, that's the utopian situation. We're mm -hmm. not in a utopian world. Um, I put a caveat on that, that we only want nations there if they're clean. Right. 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 So, um, you know, we've got we've got certain nations that have a reputation for um, for using substances that they shouldn't do, and um, mm -hmm. you know, so we want we want every nation that's eligible to race and is doing it fair playing field and ethically sound for the sport. Clean nations, we want them present. Mm -hmm. But I also I also think that Fina and Len have done absolutely the right thing um, in the case of this particular um, war. You know, I don't want to call it a conflict. It's a war, mm -hmm. and it's an unlawful war. And on that basis, if one of the if one of the measures that we that we as a sport can can use to to make the government of of that nation and maybe you know maybe Belarus too, those mm -hmm. two nations to internally reflect on what they're doing, and and the decision is if you're going to do this um then you're not welcome if that's a decision we make that helps uh, shorten or stop that conflict over time then it's the right decision um yeah. it, it's extremely hard on those individuals those athletes those teams that are now not able to compete but if if those voices are part of the throng in those nations that says hey this can't be right because this is happening to us and that makes governments and leaders think twice. Um, then I think it's a, it's a cross that, that would all be willing to bear for the, yeah. for the, for the better good of what's going on in the world. And at the end of the day, this is only swimming and mm. only sports, mm. which is, which is minute in comparison to people losing their lives losing their families losing their livelihoods losing their homes mm -hmm. you know it's, they're not on the same page yeah well said mate i I'm, I'm glad you put it that way i couldn't have articulated it as well as you did so i appreciate that that's that's well said um i want to get on to something super positive then in terms of uh ben proud you know uh he he had a he had a, a year right like he had a year this this kid just went on and separated himself i believe with the rest of the world this year in terms of being the number one sprint freestyler in the in the 50 freestyle in terms of 
power and speed and explosiveness. This is the guy now, and it's it's so cool to see. I was talking to James Gibson about him, congratulating him, and and I was actually telling him I'm going to have you on the podcast. He said, mate, John was a massive, massive influence in, in Ben Proud's career, obviously. So first of all, um, congrats on that and, and everything Ben has achieved. Um, but just t- tell us a little bit about Ben. He, he's, he's really special, mate. He is. I mean, I haven't coached Ben now for um, five years. Mm-hmm. Um, so the last time I was coaching him was into, was into Rio 2016. Mm-hmm. But in that period, and I coached him from, from about 15 years of age through, mm-hmm. through to Rio. Um, the, 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 the memories of coaching him are just like the most sublime memories as a coach. Because he's just the easiest guy in the co- in the world to coach because he'd trust he'd trust in you or he wouldn't mm-hmm. be with you. Mm-hmm. And and the manner in which he questioned sometimes what he might be doing and whether it could be changed was done in such a gentle and honorable fashion that it was that situation where, yeah, I'll change this, Ben, not a problem, because you've mm. you've gone about it in such the right way as an athlete. Right. Um he he was and I believe continues to be the ultimate professional. Um, you know, every, every if every swimmer in the world uh, lived and behaved like Ben Proud, they'd all be faster than they are now. Because it was it was literally twenty four seven, three hundred and sixty five days a year of of diligence, professionalism, and that whole concept of every decision you make. It either it's either a positive effect on you or it's a negative effect on you. There's right. nothing that just keeps neutral every mm. decision. And he just loaded the professional side of the road mm. and the positive side of the road. You know, when it came to nutrition and hydration and sleep and social life and right. just just you know ticked every single box. Um, did it did it mean that he was a robot and he didn't enjoy life? No, he did. Um, but. Yeah, just such a super guy. You know, the the term gentleman has got lost in everyday language as to what a gentleman is. And its original um, origins is a gentleman. Yeah. And that's what Ben is. He, he's a gentle giant. He's um, unbelievably respectful, um, uh, a pleasure to be around, Um yeah, I could I, I I couldn't have enjoyed coaching anybody any more than 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 coaching Ben. And and we and we made him quick and James Gibson made him quicker. Yeah, um, yeah. and and that was great to see too. I mean I couldn't have handed him on to a better guy than James. James and I mm. did a, a lot of stuff together uh, whilst we were both based in England. Mm. Um bounced off each other a lot and um you know would be would be good friends as well as colleagues. So it was fantastic that you know, Ben, I think you should go to James. James wanted to coach him. Happy days. Um, but the greatest, the greatest exponent of Ben Proud's abilities and Ben Proud's speed is himself. Yeah, yeah. He he cool. is a self-managed, self-reliant, self-aware individual beyond compare. Right. And I love that about him because what he's doing, you know, I I I swam for Australia back in, you know, the the early two thousands where you had the Ian Thorpe's, the Grant Hackett's, the um, the Kieran Perkins, you know, like the fifteen hundred, the four hundred. It was it was kind of like that was what everybody aspired to because we had these heroes, true heroes, right? 
and I swam the 50 freestyle and it was looked upon, it was looked down upon, first of all, it wasn't even looked at as a real event. It was looked at as somebody who's just, uh, you know, stands up on the blocks and uh, hopes for the best, you know? And I was like this, first of all, it's a real event. Second of all, like uh, the best people win, right? And I think this is what Ben is doing now. Ben's proving the best people win. He's he's won the Commonwealth this year. He's won the world title. He's won the European title. He's won the, the triple crown, right, in, in the swimming world. And what he's what he's proving is that the best people win consistently in the 50 freestyle. It's not a crapshoot. It's not a hope for the best. It's not a anyone can win this thing. You know, Cesar Cielo didn't have that opinion. Cesar, Cesar thought, I'm racing one, maybe two guys here, and the rest of them have no chance. And I'm sure that's the way Ben's kind of getting up on the block now, not looking down on his competition, but saying, I'm so good at what I do. I've created separation with everybody else. You don't have a chance to beat me unless you do all these things right that that are better than me and, and you you can't do it because i do it so well all the time and that's what that's what i love about what ben is doing here he's proving that um you need to be uh extremely professional to do what he's doing and, and compete at the level he's competing at and be as consistent as he is and he's showing the rest of the world that it is not a hope or a, or a crap shoot or a just uh you know, get up on the block and anyone can win this thing as, as long as you pull the water is harder than the next person. It's, it's it's a science here and it's an art. And, and I'm just so glad he's doing what he's doing, you know? There's there's so much um, in what you say there, Brett. Um, I, I think that I think that Ben, um, we, we worked on this for a long time and I'm sure this still resonates with him that, you know, your lane is your space. Mm. And it doesn't matter what, if you know, if you're in the middle lane, it doesn't matter what's going on with the four guys to your left and the three guys to your right or whatever that might be. Mm -hmm. um, your, your, your piece of water is your, is your piece. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's, some, there's something to be said if you've not got a great start that you should be on the left lane line or the right lane line in the first 20 meters. Mm -hmm. But his start was so brutally good that he was just down the middle of the lane. Yeah. It's your own process. Um, and the moment you're you're conscious of what's happening to the left or right of you is the moment that your rate changes or you miss a catch or, you know, some, the, 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 the hundreds of a second error creep in. So you blinker yourself completely from what's taking place. And he was able to do that. And I remember, like, he was a young man when he won his first Commonwealth gold. It was mm. 2014 in Glasgow. Mm. He was only 19 years of age. And he had Roland Schumann to one side of him and George Bavel to the to the other side of him. And George right. was shadow boxing and, right. you know, trying to put this young guy off. And Ben was just like, it's just, yeah. I just do my thing. Yeah. Um, and he's been like that ever since. And the other, the other great thing about him is he's, he's had some tough times where he hasn't got the result that he, that he wanted or expected, particularly um, in the Olympics. Uh, 2016, he was fourth which would have hurt him. Um, and then he didn't have a great Tokyo either. But everything either side of those has been fantastic. But that hasn't affected him. You know, he's just gone, okay, pick up again, we go again, and we'll get it right next time. And so there's nobody, nobody in that event that deserves an Olympic medal come Paris more than he does. Yeah. Yeah, That that that's going to be... Um... That's going to be fun. It's it's always fun. The Olympic final is 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 always um, a cool one. But again, I want him to be 
kind of one of those guys who is in, you know, where where you say it's look, it's between these three guys, right? And and Ben's definitely going to be one of those guys. So if, if you know, if there's a fifty freestyler out there and you got two years till Paris, you better start figuring it out now because Ben Proud's going to be in that in that top three conversation two years from now, no doubt. So that only leaves two other spots for the conversation. So you better be working now or you're going to get left out of that conversation. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I love, I love to see it. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's peppering that, that 21 flat mark as well, you know, and I think, I think it's only a matter of time before he has that ultimate breakthrough. Like, I think he's coming for that world record, you know, like, uh, I saw him in Rome actually swim a 21 one. And again, it's not the, I don't think it's the be the best venue to swim as fast as you possibly can. And, here he was going 21-1. So look, that 20.9, I think, um, yeah, I can't wait to see somebody get under that barrier. And I think he's right there with it. So um, exciting time. But uh, we'll finish up here in terms of uh, what's what's next. After your break, I mean, leading into Paris, like what, what does it look like for, for you and Irish swimming? Well, just waiting for final clarity on the, the Olympic qualification piece, particularly around the relays. Because <clears throat> mm. um, you know the fact that we uh, you can qualify a certain number of relays in in Fukuoka 2023, and then the majority of your relays in Doha 2024, and that's caused um, a little bit of concern around coaches and athletes worldwide. You know, there's 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 something in there I think that needs to be addressed and looked at. So it's difficult it's difficult to fully plan your summer of 2023 through to February, March 2024 until we get a definitive that says, this is it, we've changed it or we haven't changed it, that's the end. Once we have that, uh, I think that we're in a better position to be able to plan. Um, but as with most nations, you know, our focus is, is going to be on a world championships next summer in Japan, um, a European juniors for our younger guys, um and um and then we then we springboard into what will be an olympic qualification process and we're still we need the we need the fukuoka doha question answered before we can fully uh write and announce our own olympic qualification process because that that'll be key to you know what we do around relays and the moment you start trying to qualify relays you're talking about athletes to rest and then are you asking them to rest when they've already qualified as individuals and that that kind of stuff that every yeah. nation will be looking at. So um, the short answer is worlds in Japan. Uh, the longer yeah. answer is Paris 2024. But there's some questions to be uh, asked and finalized before we can fully announce a process to to get us to to that meet. Yeah. Well, we took we talked earlier in terms of you know goals and ambitions, and I guess maybe you know as I'm sitting here listening to you and kind of thinking about the career that you've had, you've had a massive influence on many young athletes, but also the world of swimming, and you continue to do that with all the different committees that you're on and um, you know roles that you have. So you know, thank you and congratulations on all the work you've done. You should be super proud of the career that you've had and continue to have and. And the effect that you're having on world swimming is is profound. So I uh, appreciate everything you do, John. I appreciate your comments, Brett. Thanks ever so much. All right, mate. Take care. We'll speak to you soon. All right. All the best. Vasa has been the go-to training tool outside of the pool for over 30 years.
Vasa's products are ideal for developing power and proper technique in your swimmer's catch. Add a few Vasa trainers to your pool deck and it's like adding an extra lane to your swimming pool. Go to vasatrainer.com, use code BREAD at checkout and get 10% off anything from Vasa. Destro Swim Towers. Gain strength in the water with a tower of power. Save $150 per double swim tower by using code BRETT, B-R-E-T-T, -T, at checkout. DestroMachines.com.